Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. My brothers, my sisters, in our one and only true Savior, Jesus Christ. Did you grow up in a pet family or a non-pet family? Was your family growing up a bunch of huggers or did you become more uh, accustomed to handshakes and, and waves goodbye? When you had get-togethers, what was the sign that you were having a rip-roaring good time? Was it when the menudo came out? Or the Bud Light, or the board games, or the music and the dancing, or did you just sit around chatting, eating dessert? Each and every one of us comes from our own unique culture, and it has a lot to do with the things we grew up doing. You enter adulthood with all these things in your mind that you kind of just take for granted, assumptions that you make that inform your perspective. And you'll meet people in your life who grew up with a different set of assumptions, a different perspective, and that is what we call a cross-cultural experience. Most often when we think of cross-cultural experiences, we think of traveling to a different country where they speak a different language, have different practices and traditions, and eat different kinds of food, and that is definitely a cross-cultural experience. But those of you who are married realized this early on in your marriage with your spouse, right? As you began constructing a life together, you realized very quickly that there are certain things you grew up taking for granted that your spouse did not, and that he or she has a different perspective than you. Even a marriage can be a cross-cultural experience. And when we face a cross-cultural experience, the way I see it, it can go one of three ways. It can be a beautiful moment of expanding your mind. You can learn how great it is that other people grew up doing different things, and you can learn what it means to be human by looking at the traditions of another culture or another person. Or you could be indifferent and say, oh, that's nice. I'm just going to continue doing what I do, though. Or it can be incredibly awkward and uncomfortable, maybe even frustrating when your assumptions, your culture, grinds against the culture and assumptions of someone else. In our lesson for today from Acts chapter 10, Peter finds himself in one doozy of a cross-cultural experience. And it's one that God has called him into. God commanded him to go to the house of a man named Cornelius. What was special about Cornelius was that he had faith in the one true God, but what was difficult for Peter to reconcile with was that Cornelius was a Roman centurion, a soldier in the very army that was oppressing the land of Judea. So this was a little uncomfortable for Peter. But even more so, Peter grew up in a Jewish family. He grew up with the Old Testament. He grew up with God's ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. He grew up eating certain things according to a strict diet. He grew up wearing a certain kind of robe of clothing that conformed to God's Old Testament ceremonial laws. The message that Peter grew up in his head with was certain things 
do not mix. Pure does not mix with impure. Death does not mix with life. And Jews do not mix with Gentiles. Or so he thought. Peter was in this uncomfortable situation because he had to reconcile with the fact that he had made some pretty big generalizations about who the people of God are and should be. We can relate because we're human beings just like Peter. You know, we grew up with a certain perspective and a certain way of doing things, way of thinking, a way of speaking, language, all that stuff. But how do we think about, conceptualize, how do we treat the people who are different than us? We can't avoid making stereotypes, can we? As cruel as some stereotypes can be, this is somehow just part of the way we think. We lump people into categories, even sometimes without realizing it. And some of those categories are harmless, but some of them are very harmful, making big assumptions about people, negative assumptions about people that we really should not be making, right? Fill in the blank. The people of God are people who blank. True believers, people who are going to heaven, are people who what? How would Peter fill in that blank? Likely, he would say, true believers, people who are going to heaven, are the people who are circumcised, who are the people who follow the Old Testament ceremonial laws, are people who know the Old Testament. What would we say? Probably not the same thing, right? People of God, true believers, are people who go to church on Sundays. That makes sense. Who read their Bibles. But are there any false poor assumptions that we make about who the true believers, the people of God are? If you don't think you have any of those kinds of stereotypes, inappropriate stereotypes about who the people of God are, then what happens? When you're talking to someone who is not from the same spiritual culture that you are? What happens when you're talking to someone and you're fully intent on loving them, serving them, maybe even say, uh, sharing Jesus with them, but then it comes out in conversation with them that they voted for someone whom you consider immoral. What happens when you talk with someone and you're fully intent on loving them and serving them, maybe even sharing Jesus with them, but they open up about a sin that they struggle with and it's one you don't struggle with. It's one that you find kind of yucky. They confess to you that they are addicted to pornography or that they struggle with homosexuality, or anything else that you yourself don't struggle with? What changes within you in that moment? How hard does it become for you to keep talking to that person? Or do you find yourself, like Peter likely was in Acts chapter 10, wishing he could be anywhere other than where he was? Brothers and sisters, the reason that these assumptions are inappropriate, the reason that these assumptions are so damning is not because when we assume someone is a sinner that we're wrong. That's a safe assumption about anyone that you can make. It's when we lump someone into this category of super sinners and we assume that we are somehow different. Peter sitting there talking to Cornelius, he had thought that maybe the Gentiles were the super sinners 
without realizing that he himself were in the same, was in the same category. The problem with these assumptions is thinking that we don't stand in the same place. When we realize that we do, our judgmentalism, our stereotyping, our generalizations, they have to go away, they have to dissolve as we realize that we by nature, every human being has the exact same spiritual culture comes from the same spiritual place of being under the dominion, the power of sin. The witness of scripture is that there's more to us than just how you grew up, the color of your skin, the language that you speak, but that each and every one of us is locked in this cosmic spiritual battle. And without help, without rescue, we are under the power of Satan himself. That's the problem we all have by nature. You know, one of the biggest objections to Christianity comes in the form of a question that goes something like this. If God is so loving, if God is so merciful and wonderful, how come he chooses some people to live and go to heaven while he damns other people? And that can come from a sincere place. If that's a question that you have sincerely, that's something we can talk about, that we should sit down and open the Bible about. But sometimes... People ask this question because they have an agenda. They're trying to paint God as this judgmental, superficial, capricious God who's really selective on who he wants to bless and who he wants to damn. But aren't we the judgmental ones? Aren't we the selective ones, the ones who make hip-fire decisions on who to love and who to serve and who matters while making pretty harsh judgments against who doesn't matter and who's not worthy of our love and attention? No, when it dawned on Peter, it was like a light bulb going off in his head. It was a beautiful thought, a beautiful realization that Peter had that God does not treat us the way we treat each other. God is not so quick to judgment and criticism as we are based on just a couple superficial details. And we see that we see God's love and his mercy for all people at Jesus' baptism. As Jesus went into that water of that well-known river, the Jordan, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in a visible form that everyone could see in the form of a dove, and the heavens ripped open and the voice of God the Father boomed down about God the Son and said, this is my Son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Whose benefit was that for? Wasn't it for ours? We sinners stuck under the power of Satan who could see once and for all, this is our Savior, come in the flesh. God announcing his goodwill and pleasure over him. God announcing that Jesus had what we want, what we need, God's approval and God's love. And that we could watch as Jesus came out of that river and went on doing good things for people, healing people, preaching good things, but then dying and rising for us. Peter, the apostle, got the significance of that event sitting in the living room of the last person he would ever expect him, himself to be hanging out with. That's when it dawned on him. Peter got it. 
Now you and I get it too. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened through the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. The beautiful thing about cross-cultural experiences is first of all that you learn about how other people do things, about other traditions that can be really cool, but you also learn what we really have in common with anyone of any other culture. We're all human. We all generally like the same things. We like being with other people. We like having a good time. We like to eat good food. You find that in all other cultures. What do you find about the human culture through the lens of Scripture? Is that none of us are all that different. All of us desperately need a Savior. And Jesus has sent, God has sent Jesus to be the Savior of all people. The Lord of all personally has come to be our Savior. And we see that most clearly at his baptism. But... Jesus' baptism had another purpose. Jesus, the Son of God, God who has come in the flesh, did not make full use of his divine powers as God. He let himself get hungry. He let himself get tired. He let himself get emotionally burdened. That was part of how he accomplished the work of being our Savior. So how meaningful would Jesus' have baptism have been for Jesus, who was weak, who was tired, who was hungry, who suffered, to hear God, his Father's voice, boom from heaven, saying, I'm pleased with you. You're doing the right thing. To receive the power of the Holy Spirit to go on and heal and teach and preach and to help people. This was the start, we say, of Jesus' ministry as our Savior. Do you realize what that means for your baptism? No, you did not see the, the Holy Spirit descend from heaven in the form of a dove when you were baptized. Nobody heard the, the audible voice of God boom from heaven, this is my son, my daughter, with whom I love with him or her, I'm well pleased. You weren't baptized in the Jordan River as far as I know. But that doesn't mean that God wasn't there. The same triune God present at Christ's baptism was present at yours, doing the same amazing, miraculous, wonderful thing as in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit was spoken over you as water touched your head. God the Holy Spirit didn't appear in a physical form, but he was there with the word, and the water entering your heart through faith, creating faith in your heart and changing you as a person. 
God's voice from heaven didn't boom down, but all of the promises connected with baptism in Scripture were applied to you. You are a child of God. With you, God is well-pleased because you are covered with the righteousness of Christ, which means that you emerge from your baptism ready to do what Jesus did. No, you are not going to be the savior of the human race. Jesus did that already. You are not going to die for anyone's sins. Jesus took care of that. You're not even going to die for your own sins because of Christ. But just as Jesus emerged from that water and went on to do amazing works of help and healing and service to his neighbor, so do you. You emerge from your baptism a new person, empowered by the Holy Spirit and God, your Heavenly Father, to do good things. For whom? That's the question, isn't it? And I hope that it's pretty easy to answer. Because that's what Peter realized in that day, sitting with Cornelius and his buddies. For everyone. God does not show favoritism. And neither should we. Human beings have different cultures, certainly. Human beings are widely different. They speak different languages, have different backgrounds, have different practices. They party in different ways. But spiritually speaking, we all have the same needs. We all need to be pointed to Jesus as our one and only hope for salvation. As the only one who can rescue us from the dominion of darkness, from the cycle of our own sin, and from the power of the devil. And he has done that for you. You understand what Peter came to understand. Peter got it, and now you get it, and that's good. So get after it. Amen.